PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where board study continues to be more enjoyable fun. I'm joined by Dr. Blake Briggs. This is a continuing series of and collaboration we have with ASAP's Peer Board Review. They give us awesome questions and we give them our awesome voices. For every 15 minutes, we drop bomb knowledge, high yield, come for the STEM, stay for the content, right? Sign up on our website, www.emboardbombs.com. Don't know why I said www. What was the point of that? <laughs> Don't know. It just came out. Hey, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. Hey, Dr. Briggs, onto the topic. EMS calls in tier charge nurse, letting them know that there's going to be an LVAD patient that's coming in. Oh, no. Yeah, I know, right? Immediately, you get a phone call from the LVAD coordinator letting you know their patient is coming in. <laughs> then you get a call from the on-call LVAD attending physician giving you a heads up, giving you a history of this patient. You then get a call from the LVAD resident on call saying, hey, can you let me know when this patient's coming in because I was about to go to sleep? Then you get a call from the medical student rotating on with said LVAD resident saying, hey, um, the resident wants me to bring down some of the equipment. Then you get a call from the Abbott rep saying she's happy to help you out and just to let her know when the patient's coming in. If you need anything, just let her know. Then you get a call from Dick Cheney. Yes, this is the (laughs) vice president saying that he's happy to help as well because he's went through a few of these and sometimes he himself has to tell the folks that come in how to work on it. Anyways, EMS then calls and says, hey, false alarm. They isolated the abnormal noise uh, that the patient was worried about. It's actually coming from his Apple Watch uh, as the heart rate and pulse ox features were showing that the patient was dead and alarming. You then meet the 10 people who've assembled in one of your trauma bays while your actual trauma patient is in your fast track area. And you (laughs) tell them to go home. (laughs) <laughs> this is so true i know it's like everyone hears alvad and everyone's just like oh my oh, god man, don't go on my side <laughs> hey what's the question <laughs> hey so the question is what is the most common device related complication in left ventricular assist device patients is it a device infection b pump failure c pump thrombosis d suction event correct answer dr briggs The correct answer here is going to be choice D, suction event. Hey, so I'm glad we're doing this because, and kudos to you, Blake, we've gotten a bunch of shout outs and you've been pushing me to do this one as well. As our question stem alluded to, this is not, you know, this it's always a little bit frustrating uh, dealing with LVADs, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because they're, you know, they can be a bit of a complicated device. But uh, Dr. Briggs, who's worked on making a really succinct handout as well that's going to be coming out on em board bombs but what we're going to go through here are basically all the key things that you need to know about lvads in the er again kudos dr briggs pleasure pleasure this is such a big thing it's actually really funny you mentioned this because when i was um when i took my written boards i walked in i'm like okay i'm ready for this anything they throw at me i'm ready first question lvad (laughs) no way are you serious (laughs) that's awesome sat down i'm like you gotta be you gotta be kidding me like 
is that is chance? awesome. Oh, it's awful. <clears throat> but thankfully, I was well prepared because I had this document here. We're going to release it soon. Hey, so LVADs, they're a really good bridge to transplant, hopefully in the future. Or they're a bridge to recovery if some of these patients recover from their heart failure, of if it's a reversible cause. Or they serve more commonly, really more and more, as long-term, quote-unquote, solutions in of themselves. We don't have the exact number, uh, exact population of LVAD users in the United States. But can we just say that it's a lot and it's been growing yeah. since the 2000s? I mean, basically, if you work at any major ER, you're going to be dealing with this. Yes. Yeah. We found their Facebook group. Uh, their membership now is about over 50,000. I'm just kidding. We don't have a Facebook group. It's not Facebook, by the way. It's Instagram. That's true. <laughs> Instagram's the only thing holding up Facebook, let's be honest. Right? Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Unfortunately, the increase in LVAD presence throughout the U.S. increased the incidence of their complications. And also, unfortunately, as you can imagine, most emergency physicians do not enjoy taking care of these, myself included, yourself by included. Logistically, they are challenging, as you can imagine, in the questions to them. We poke some fun, but they do involve a lot of coordination. Right. Hence the coordinator who's assigned to these LVAT patients. And then the pathology is complex along with the engineering with these machines. But let's just talk about this particular question today and dive into just the approach to an LVAT patient. Dr. Usain, why don't you take it away a little further? Sure. So they're complex machines. Overall premise, pretty simple, right? You have inflow cannula kind of sucking in blood from the LV to the pump, which then pumps it into the aorta via the outflow cannula. It's either going to be battery or wall powered. That's why oftentimes when these patients come in, you're always asking them, hey, how's your battery doing? Or they might be getting a beeping noise from their battery. And what you're actually bringing down is power supply, other things as well. There's like an LVAD mm-hmm. cart oftentimes that's brought down, right? Most LVADs, they're designed as continuous flow. And that kind of explains why the patient themselves will lack a pulsatile flow. Good luck getting that Apple Watch to give you some good readings. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, you know, on exam, your patient may not have a palpable pulse. Don't freak out. And they might not have any discernible heart sounds, but we'll get into what you should be hearing, or at least what you should not be hearing. This also makes getting blood pressure difficult and frankly misleading. And frankly, very testable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're going to ask. You this is like, this is like three test pressure. questions right here. Yeah. So get into some of that. Hey, thankfully, the NIBP monitor in most EDs is extremely reliable and accurate. Mm. Just kidding. Mm. Automated BP cuffs mm-hmm. are lame. So automated BP cuffs have been shown to be like 50% accurate for right. LVAD measurement of mean arterial pressure. Additionally, pulse oximetry is also unreliable and it likely reflects a lack of pulsatile flow as well. So also an, an unreliable finding. We got automated BP cuffs, which suck and pulse oximetry, which is unreliable too. So how do you measure BP in an LVAD patient? Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to the level of the brachial artery in the arm, and you're going to use a Doppler probe or the ultrasound, and using a manual cuff, you're going to inflate that and use the Doppler flow to determine the mean arterial pressure. Doppler is 95% accurate in LVAD patients. It's very good. It is the best non-invasive measure. So there you go. On the test question, the best non-invasive measure of blood pressure in an LVAD patient is Doppler or ultrasound or something like and that. And frankly, this is what your staff's doing in the ER when they show mm-hmm. up. Absolutely. You're, just, you're using the Doppler to get the blood pressure. And when you're talking to the coordinators and people on the phone, they're assuming you're, what you're using doing. Doppler as well. Absolutely correct. And acceptable mean arterial pressure is 60 to 90 
millimeters mercury, the map should never exceed 90. Um, and, you know, we always think, oh, really high map, that's good, we're solid, we're in a good, we're in a good place. It's not true. Map greater than 90, this can compromise LVAD function as well. So also too high can be a bad thing. Wait, hold on. Are we not starting the sepsis protocol and doing 30 <laughs> cc's per K? And then IV antibiotics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I would love to uh, write in that note to explain that away right? to CMS. Right. It's like, uh, <laughs> did not initiate sepsis protocol because LVAD. Patient has an LVAD. <laughs> The patient is more machine than man now. He's more machine now than man. <laughs> I hope you got that Star Wars reference. All right. Yes. So what do you do about a really ill-appearing LVAD patient, and you can't get a Doppler, and let's say they're unresponsive? Well, guess what you're going to do immediately? You're going to throw in an arterial line. And this is arguably, I wouldn't say this is the gold standard, but this is arguably the best method from what I've read everywhere online. This is by far the most accurate method of a continuous blood pressure monitoring system for these LVAD patients. Sure. And that's, again, to caveat is the patient is not dead and you're yes. not starting eCPR and, you know, ACLS because these patients, if they do die, you need to be doing ACLS, right? Yep. Let's go through some basic facts really fast. You need to know about the complications of LVAD. So we're just listing these. You can find these more in detail in our document online. We don't have time to talk about all of them today. But here's just some quick high-yield hints. And literally, we would suggest earmarking this part of the podcast. And before you walk into your board exam or oral boards, you just play this over 30 seconds before you take the test. Because sure. this is literally all the test questions for LVADs just right here. Uh, if this stuff is just way over your head and you're like, hey, I don't even see LVAD patients in my area. I don't even want to talk about LVADs. I just need to know it for this silly test that's coming up. So here you go. The most common complication related to LVADs is by far bleeding. Mm. All LVAD patients are on anticoagulation. They have to be. So invariably, bleeding is going to be a common ED complaint. What's the most common source, Dr. Hussain, for these LVAD patients? GI. And why is GI the most common source? I don't know, actually. Tell me. <laughs> oh, wait. Does it have to do with the... Um, Von Willebrand's disease? Also just the fact they're on anticoagulation. Oh, I thought you were like going to something special. <laughs> it's like, where was he connecting this to the geometry? All right. The second most common complications of LVADs, so number one was bleeding. Number two is infection. Number three, the most common cause of LVAD failure. Remember, this is the difference. The actual machine failing. Number one cause of that is a suction event, which is our focus of our podcast. We'll talk about that later. Right. The most common location for an infection in the LVAD is the drive line. And remember that the reason this is, it makes perfect sense. The drive line is the part of the LVAD that emerges from the skin. So it's going to be the most vulnerable to getting, you know, skin soft tissue infection. Thrombosis is going to be the most common cause of pump failure. So if you do have the pump actually not working, um, thrombosis is going to be the most common cause. What are the other issues you can encounter? Obviously, any dysrhythmias, which can... Um, affect the LVAD function, battery failure, which is pretty obvious. If there is a low battery and you want to replace it with a new battery, don't replace both yeah, at once yeah. because doing so will shut off the pump. Yeah, yeah. And you just turn off their heart. Yeah, exactly. And, the, you know, honestly, the patient should should know this. They usually know how their batteries work. Wait, don't but... touch that. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what were you saying? <laughs> All right. So, hey, let's go into the assessment of the LVAD patient. What's the first thing you should do before the LVAD patient hits the door? I think it's that stem I wrote. Uh, call the LVAD coordinator. Seriously. Just call the LVAD coordinator. Uh, when they hit the door or if you know that they're going to be coming in, they want to know what's going on. 
Uh, they'll help coordinate um, cards. Will also uh, usually want to be mm-hmm. involved as well. Absolutely, we're not kidding around. There was a joke email sent out about this is even if the LVAD patient has stubbed their toe against the door and they came to the ED for evaluation, and everybody like laughed at it. They're like, no, we're we're not we're not joking around. You need to call the LVAD. Call yeah, me. yeah, that's pretty much it. Yes, <laughs> yes. Hey, so you're going to look at the LVAD first. You're going to look at all the device connections. You're going to check the batteries. You're going to connect to a wall outlet if possible, just to eliminate the issue of a battery problem. And you're going to auscultate over the heart for a hmm. Right. I think that's the noise it makes, which indicates pump function. Can you do that again? Hum. (laughs) (laughs) Any absence of this hum (laughs) means pump failure. So... Point number one, check all the device and all its connections. So you're telling me a clicking noise would be bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you think you're hearing mitral valve prolapse, (laughs) (laughs) when that med student comes back and is like, I think I'm hearing crescendo, (laughs) the crescendo, (laughs) you should be alarmed. You should be alarmed. (laughs) Check the device and all its connections. Address any alarms. Step number one. Step number two, listen for device sounds in the chest. So here's an important point. If you hear device sounds, so that means the LVAD's functioning, but the patient is not breathing, you're going to obviously address the airway and breathing. Rescue breaths, potential intubation immediately, you know, as needed. If you don't hear device sounds and the patient is unresponsive, guess what you're about to do? CPR. Same thing you do for any patient. Like I mentioned before, same thing. You got to do this. And they'll ask you a question on this too, I'm telling you. They're, oh, they sure They're going to make it seem like you need to do something with LVAD to bring the patient back yeah. or something like that. No, you need to do CPR, ACLS. Done. It's funny because um, there was this, not so much a myth, but there's this fear, theoretical fear that the you would disconnect, you know, dislodge the lines from the LVAD. But now newer guidelines, and by the way, these guidelines... Um, Peer is really on top of it because Peer has questions that reflect the newest guidelines and they advocate for CPR as well. And so when you get right. a test question on your boards, just like Peer has it and ASAP has it, you should be doing CPR for these patients, ACLs, right. which makes common sense. But, you know, people kind of freak out when they see the all that stuff. So at the same time, you're going to continue to troubleshoot device attachments. So you as the team leader, of course, are going to direct the CPR and ACLS. It's very complex, but hopefully the LVAD coordinator is there or someone is there to help you with, okay, what was the issue potentially that led to this? A little caveat that's kind of interesting. You don't want to restart the LVAD if it's greater than 30 minutes since it's been off due to risk of thromby. You can imagine just like starting that up as like a turbine shooting thromby. Right. right. That's yeah, suboptimal. And then, of course, if you're unable to restart and you're at a center that can do this, this is pretty advanced stuff, and the patient's still unresponsive, you're going to try to rush to ECMO as fast as possible. Yeah. That's a very detailed discussion over our heads. You know, step three. So step one, we said check the device connections, address any alarms. Step two, listen for device sounds, and then address as needed. And step three, let's say we hear device sounds normally, you're going to measure uh, manual blood pressure using Doppler and ultrasound. And if the mean arterial pressure is less than 60, we're going to think about pump failure, most common cause being thrombosis, followed by arrhythmias, bleeding, dehydration, that sort of thing. So now that we got all that down, Let's talk about the question. And the question, again, to remind you, was that the most common device-related complication in LVAD patients is a suction event. Dr. Hussain, tell us all about suction events. Sure. So I'm not going to get into the detailed pathophys about suction events and pressure on the LV and all this other stuff. So I'm going to try to keep it straightforward. Remember, LVADs are highly preload-dependent. And one of the most common causes of hypotension 
in an elevated patient is these suction events. So any drop in volume status, especially when it comes to dehydration, vomiting, diarrhea, that can result in the inflow cannula attempting to pull the blood from your left ventricle, but it sucks down in the walls of the LV, and that causes this partial occlusion. Again, this type of suction event. The bedside echo would show you excessive LV decompression with a small left ventricular size. But here's the key. This is important. If you suspect a suction event, give the patient some fluid. Give them a fluid bolus. Suspicion of a suction event should really prompt administration of IV fluids to increase preload. So the way to really think about this is you have this device that is highly preload dependent. You have the patient volume down. You're going to be having some LV dysfunction because of this. Give the patient some fluid. You know, that alone could rapidly improve how your LVAD device is performing and resolve that low flow alarm. So when you're getting that low flow alarm, uh, you, you know, consider doing that. For sure. Hey, let's race through these other choices while they're wrong just yeah. really fast. Right. So all the other choices, remember, it was device infection, pump pump failure, pump thrombosis. These were all just different complications of LVAD. So device infection is, a, is, is pretty rare, but it's potentially catastrophic, as you can imagine. So infections are most common in the perioperative period. They can occur anytime they want to, and they can definitely occur in the indwelling driveline, which is the most common location, remember we mentioned, of an LVAD infection is that driveline because of its connection to the outside world, as they said. <laughs> <laughs> that's, little, that's literally what it says written there from Pierre. <laughs> the outside world. Once the it goes inside. World. Yeah, <laughs> outside world. <laughs> Concern for any device infection, you know, you obviously need to get blood cultures, antibiotics immediately, coordinate with the LVAD team, not good. Pump failure. So pump failure, the most common cause of pump failure is pump thrombosis. Mm. Very scary. It's followed by failure of the mechanical parts. Mm-hmm. And other causes of pump failure would, of course, be any disconnection of some type of device connections, any malfunction of the cannula. Um, and usually these patients will come in as undifferentiated, um, um, high alarm patients, as they say. The mm -hmm. alarm is beeping really high or cardiac arrest. And they're going to have this pump speed that's really high. And it's, you know, all that detailed stuff that's in the document. It talks about how to walk through the alarms and do that kind of stuff, which we're not going to talk about today. But the big thing with pump thrombosis is that this requires a lot of coordination. Um, you know, there could be emergent endovascular cannula stenting they could do, surgical pump exchange, temporary external support devices like um, ECMO, that sort of thing. That is way advanced stuff that's yeah. going to happen in the CVICU. Right. Nothing as an emergency doctor you can help with, but you can help with identifying these quickly and helping um, as the team leader getting this patient where they need to go as fast as possible. Uh, and again, all this stuff is going to be on emboardbombs.com, a nice two-page summary. Uh, I know you're asking, listeners, how do we do it? How do we make a two-page summary? We just uh, ignore a lot of other stuff that people, that people such as UpToDate and our friends <laughs> at WikiEM and other places might include. <laughs> we, we yeah, just we just decide. We just decide that some things are just not worth talking about. <laughs> exactly, it's very arbitrary. <laughs> All right, hey, let's take us out. Another awesome question by Pierre. Yeah, it was. It was. We love Pierre. Yeah, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt. That's another bomb delivered. 
You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at Ian Boardbombs. We're also on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, if you didn't know that. I love all these people on Twitter I saying, know. I'm going to go delete my Facebook, and they still have Instagram. I know. But anyways, drop Please us an drop Apple us an Apple review. review. Yeah. Drop yeah. us an Apple review. Hey, we saw an Apple review. Someone wanted us to cover chest tubes. That sounds awesome. We should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, let's do it real quick. All right. So find the rib space, put the tube in, get a chest <laughs> x-ray, reposition. If it's not, uh, not, not appropriate, you can use a bit of a spinning technique as well with the chest tube as you're putting it in to help out and uh good there we're all done perfect thank you thanks for your review these reviews really help us uh, we really they appreciate do. They do. For real. particular I mean, topic you it. want let us know we'll cover it in the future and we actually will cover chesters in the future so we will. Okay. we'll see you next time for some action yep talk to you later